Thanks for listening to the 242 Young Adults Podcast with Pastor Justin Corkum. Our prayer is that this message will be an encouragement to your life in Christ. We are starting a new series. I'm really excited about it. Um, it's called Ready, Set, Go. Uh, and tonight, I'm going to, uh, to kind of open this up, and we're going to be talking about uh, the assignment. The assignment. Uh, how many have ever had your fair share of assignments so far in life, yeah. I, I well, how many work work assignments, school assignments for maybe some of you. How many enjoy assignments? Glory to God, we have some some weirdos in the room. Uh, it depends on what the assignment is. You know, I agree. I agree. Uh, I was thinking about this whole idea of of an assignment and really what that means uh, for us. And I think ultimately, when we have an when we're, when we're given an assignment, why do, we, why do we usually finish it? That's the question that I was asking myself. What leads us to really uh, push forward and try our best to finish the assignment? And I thought about, man, oftentimes, you know, when I was in school, when I was in college, you know, I, I, was, I was the kid when I was, like, you know, younger, that if I got, like, a 97 on my exam, like... Hades just exploded, and it was just abysmal, and, and I would cry, and, and my mom would be like, what is wrong with this kid? Like, you got an A on the, and I'm like, what is it, 100, mom? And that was sort of who I was. I was a little bit of a perfectionist, and so uh, that was always something for me. Well, why, why did I strive so hard? It was, it was really, I considered failing, and... <laughs> By any means, my, my standard was probably a little too high. Uh, but, you know, we, we strive our hardest in, in maybe college. Uh, maybe some of you are in school right now. Uh, we've been there before. We strive our hardest because we don't want to fail, because we want to pass the class, because it means we're going to have to spend a couple hundred more dollars just to take the same course if we fail. And so there's, there's always a motivation behind our assignments, uh, things that we have. You know, if you're at work and your boss assigns you something, he's obviously got some sort of expectation of you. So you don't want to make your boss upset. You don't want to be, uh, you know, viewed as uh, maybe a, a lackadaisical worker. But there's there's a motivation behind the assignment, and I think every assignment is accomplished because of a consequence, whether it's good or bad. And so uh, I want to take a look at uh, some scripture tonight. And so if you want to turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew, we're going to be starting from chapter 28. And I want to read, uh, I want to read just a couple verses. You guys might be familiar with the verses we're going to read this evening. But it starts, Matthew 28, we'll be starting at verse 18. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the promises in your word. We thank you for the commands in your word, O oh God. And Father, tonight we just ask that you would challenge our hearts. 
Father, that we would just be motivated uh, just by love. Father, that we would be motivated uh, by just a heart of compassion for, for people. We would be motivated by what moves your heart, oh God. And so tonight, we just surrender to you. We ask, God, that you would have your way. Lord, that you would speak to us and that you would challenge us. Father, that we would not walk from this place uh, the same, but we would be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we just ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I think about uh, the disciples. And this obviously is, is something that is known as the Great Commission. It was right at the end of Jesus' ministry after his resurrection that he's with his disciples and he gives them this commandment before he leaves, before he ascends into heaven. And this is something that the church has, has taken as its mission. Uh, the, the church has viewed this passage of Scripture as how we kind of move out from experiencing Christ. And, and once we experience him, this is what we are responsible for. Jesus came and he literally gave us this responsibility. And I think about these guys and how one day Jesus interrupted their, their workday. Right in the middle of their workday, they decided to follow this man. And they saw him change lives every day. They saw him heal the sick and cast out demons they saw him raise the dead. They saw him love the sinner and care for the outcast. They saw him challenge the religious leaders and that he would challenge them and, and bring just uh, their hypocrisy out and he would challenge them uh, and be a voice of justice. And then they saw this man, this man that they believed to be the savior, the Messiah who was gonna save them, who was gonna basically in, in Jewish thought, when, when they, believed, they believed the Messiah was basically going to come and, uh, and, and do some damage, right? They were in some Roman oppression, right? So they thought he was going to come in and just sweep like the Rome off their feet and, and, and save the people of Israel. Uh, and it was going to be very much, a, very much of like a warrior type thing. He was going to come in and, and bring justice. And so they follow this man and, and, and all in, in one moment they see him nailed to a cross. And every hope, every aspiration was now gone. Frustration, doubt, uh, just asking why. What, what's going on right now? Could you imagine the thoughts that would be filling the minds of these men as they, as they watched the one that they believed was going to save them die on the cross? But their hope was restored. I mean, imagine that. Their hope was restored. And, and at this point, they are seeing Jesus risen from the dead. And he's giving them this command. How many know if, if somebody died, came back to life, and they gave you a command? I mean, how many of us would really listen to that? How many of us would be like, okay, I, I think I should probably take note of this? And so that's what happened. Jesus came back and he gave them this command and he said, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. There's an account similar to this in Acts chapter 1, uh, 6 through 8, and I just want to read it quickly. It says, when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times 
and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so I see these guys again. They see him raise from the dead. They're now seeing Jesus again, and they go, oh yeah, now it's time for you to, to, to kick some butt and take some names, Jesus, right? Now is the time that you're going to deliver us. Now, now is the time, right? And Jesus re- responds and says, no, that time is not for you to know. And I love what he says here. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And he responds by saying, but let me tell you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And so he's saying, you know, the deliverance that you're looking for isn't gonna be, it's not gonna happen the way that you think. How many know that there are times in our lives where we think we know how God's gonna do it? We think we got it all figured out. You know, I I just know Jesus is gonna come through this way, But, but God has different plans for us. And so, We're talking about this commission. How do we do this in our lives? This is the assignment. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the commands that I have given you, and surely I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. I think about what we've been called to in our assignment, and I think about how it's, it's really to make disciples, right? And so we're gonna talk a little bit about the assignment tonight. And, uh, and so I wanna talk about five ways, five ways to be accomplishing the assignment. Because let me tell you, it's never finished, right? This assignment is never finished until we are standing before God, until we're standing before his presence. This assignment is continuous in our life. And so the first thing that we must do is we must rest in Christ's authority. Matthew 28, verse 18, says Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. The thing I love about Jesus is that he doesn't doesn't call the capable. He doesn't call the capable. I mean, when you look at these disciples... These disciples were, I mean, in in the book of Acts, there's an account where the religious leaders actually look at the disciples and they take note that they were with Jesus, but one of the things they also take note of is that they were unlearned and ignorant men. I mean, we're talking about fishermen, we're talking about tax collectors, we're talking about common people who God set apart for an uncommon purpose. And that's what God often does. You know, God uses what most people would consider to be the incapable. I was uh, looking at something online, and it was funny. It was going through just a list of, of people that God used, and, and one of them was Gideon, right? Gideon was, well, he was a, a judge. He delivered the people of Israel. But in the beginning of that story, Gideon was the least of his tribe, and his tribe was the least of all the tribes of Israel. So basically, when God says, I'm a mighty man of valor, I'm going to choose you, you're going to deliver to people, he goes, do you know who I am? I'm like, I'm like the lowest, like, you remember my tribe, that's the lowest, 
Remember, my, well, my family, we're the lowest of our tribe. Like, you can't really get much lower than me, Jesus. Like, how, what's going on here, God? I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. How are you going to use me? Rahab was a prostitute. David was too young. Peter denied he knew Jesus. And I love this one. Lazarus, he was dead. God can use anybody. God can use anybody. It's just whether our heart is willing to be used by God. And I love that Jesus says that I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Because the problem that we, sometimes what we do is we put it on us. We, we say, God, like, I, I know that you have all authority, but, but I'm not capable to do this. God, I, I can't be used by you in this way. I can't speak out like that. I, I'm too shy. I, I, I trip up when I start to speak. Uh, you know, I'm not really an outgoing person. I'm more of an introvert. I'm not very good in social settings. I just get all clammy and nervous, and I shake their hand, and it's sweaty, and I'm like, oh, this is awkward. God can't use me. <laughs> and I know that's like, oh, what? But that's, that's true because we think those things sometimes. I'm actually an introvert. Um, by nature, that's how God created me. Um, I'm just a fake extrovert. <laughs> I'm kidding. I know, I know how to have fun, I guess, but it's like, I've ever been, this is a sign. If I'm like at a social gathering for too long, I like, I run to the bathroom and I shut the door. I don't use the bathroom. I just stand in the bathroom. Sometimes I just put the toilet seat down. I sit on the toilet. I just, just for like for quiet. And that's where I like, okay, I know. I'm definitely an introvert because um, I need that like time to charge uh, before I like go out in, in public settings. But anyway, that was more of a side note. But I think that we recognize oftentimes that, you know, we kind of can make excuses for why God can't use us or, or why we're not capable or why we're incapable rather of being used by God. But when I see all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? Jesus didn't say, well, greater are you than the one that's in the earth. No, he said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He said that his power is made perfect in our weakness. Paul says that it's not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5 to 6. If you think you're underqualified, it's because, it's because you are. But through Christ, right? Christ in you. Nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible. So just rest in Christ's authority. Remember the authority of Jesus Christ. That it's not in our own strength. The time that, when we try to do this on our own strength, when we try to reach people, when we try to make disciples, and we'll talk with that, a little bit about what that looks like in a second, but when we try to do this on our own strength, we're going to fail. We have a consistent dependency upon his strength and not our own. So let's talk about it. Make disciples, right? He says, how to, how to accomplish the assignment? Rest in his authority and make disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I think 
what's very important is that we recognize the word therefore. If you were with us uh, as we studied through our, our How to Read the Bible Well series, that's a word that kind of gives you a hint that before you read this, or rather because of this statement, it's pointing back. This statement's pointing back to something that's said before. And what was just stated, it was stated that it's not in your authority that you make disciples, but it's because all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Christ. Because of that, you can go and make disciples. I want to talk about what it means to be a disciple. It's interesting that word in the Greek, mathituo, is directly defined as this. It's to be a disciple of one, to make a disciple. A disciple is a producer, not, not just a, a consumer. A lot of times when we think about a, a disciple, we think about a pupil. We think about somebody who, who's being trained up and they're always being kind of mentored and, and, and sort of directed in the way that they need to go. They're always being taught. And we, we see this picture of being a disciple uh, as very, um, you know, I, you feed me, I, I need to be fed kind of thing. Um, a, a pupil, mentor, that sort of thing. But I love how it brings it around full circle. It's not just about uh, being mentored or, or, or being you know, fed by, by someone or strengthened by someone, but it's about you turning around and strengthening someone else, finding somebody else to raise up, to teach, finding somebody else to make a disciple. We often, uh, we often get stuck there. I, I know sometimes it's like, I, you know, before I can do it, I got to make sure that things are good with me. Like there's still a lot of things I got to work on for myself. You know, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm being fed. And all of those things are so important, so critical. But we can't use that as an excuse uh, to not go out and begin investing in other people, investing time and other people. We're talking about people who don't have the hope of Jesus Christ. We're talking about people that don't have that loving relationship, that haven't experienced that transformational love in their lives. And to just stay kind of inward and focusing on ourselves and what we need to fix on ourselves and ignoring the people who need the hope of Jesus Christ. It's it's selfish. I think there are many Christians that think they're disciples because they want God to pour into them. They think that coming to church makes them a disciple or listening to music uh, and, and worship music in the car on the ride to work makes them a disciple or praying for their needs makes them a disciple or being fed spiritually makes them a, a disciple. But it's more than just consuming. It's about producing. And that's something that we can ask ourselves. Am I producing disciples in my life? Are people being changed because of my influence in their life? I think the phrase making disciples reminds us that disciples are made. 
It doesn't just magically happen, right? Where it's like, poof, perfect Christian. No, it takes work. It takes lots of work. And we often don't want to put in the work that's required to see that change take place, to actually make a disciple. I liken it to uh, really the only example I could think of at the time was just laundry. You know, we love the idea of making disciples, just like we love the idea of uh, of fresh, clean, like ironed laundry. But I hate doing laundry. I was so happy. I didn't know this was going to be part of the deal. I got married. Steph did the laundry. I was like, woo, blessings. Like, I had no idea. I was fully prepared. I've done, I did my laundry since I was like 11. Um, and so that was something I was like, I, I, I knew it could have been a possibility. But like, we got married. And then all of a sudden, she was like, she was doing the laundry. And she was like folding the clothes afterwards. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Don't, not everybody, not ever. I still help fold the clothes though. I don't just sit down and watch football. I fold clothes while I'm watching football, maybe. But uh, I know she's funny. Well, I'll, and this is just a side note, but like we'll be folding. I'll get through like three, three shirts. <laughs> She'll get through like the entire basket. Like, and I'm just kind of like, like watching like football. And then I'm like, this, do-, and then I'm like, this doesn't look, and she takes it and she folds it. She does it her way. And I'm like, okay, all right. But the idea, right, the idea of, we like the idea of clean laundry. Everybody, do you, does everybody enjoy clean laundry here? I know there's some people here that hate doing laundry so much that they probably wear their clothes inside out before they have to. I've, I'm, never mind. Continuing on, I think that we just, back to the main point here. Sorry, I got distracted by laundry. Um, when we think about, when we think about just what it means to make disciples, Oftentimes, that can be very inconvenient. That means investing time in people. That means uh, giving up maybe our own, our own preferences or schedule for the sake uh, of speaking into a person's life, making a, a difference, being present in their life. And that's, that requires a lot of us. Uh, it requires sacrifice. And it's not just something that, that happens. It's not just something that we say, okay, well, yeah, this is great. I, uh, you know... I can just, you know, every once in a while give you a text. and No, it's so much more intentional than that. It takes work to make disciples. The third thing is baptizing them. Today, baptism may not seem like that big of a deal. It's, uh, it's exciting. We've got a, a baptismal service this Sunday. But I think uh, for a lot of people, you know, we, we view it as, okay, I know the sort of the symbolism, you know, like you're, you're old man, you're coming up new, and, and yeah, like so it's kind of like you're a new person, like with Jesus. And, uh, and I feel as if, I feel as if it's sort of just, it's something that we've done, it's something that we acknowledge, um, but we can sometimes miss the weight of it. When we look at baptism in the early church, we see that baptism was the unmistakable act of being marked as a person who followed Jesus Christ. Why is that a big deal? 
it's a big deal because that moment when they made that remark, when they, when they were baptized and they were saying, I am following Jesus, that very decision was going to lead to physical persecution. It was going to lead to possibly pain in their future. It was going to lead to suffering. When they said, I'm following Jesus, it wasn't like it is today on a Sunday morning where we're just like, oh, praise the Lord, this guy's following Jesus, that's great. In a church, you know, we're all clapping. And you know what, there was a community of believers that was, was excited and they were thrilled for what was happening. But that very statement was a serious statement. And I don't know if you guys remember, how many remember uh, Christopher Alam who came uh, and spoke uh, in church, and I just want to share his story. He was a he was a Muslim who converted to Christianity, and uh, was just passionate about the Lord, passionate about God. And he went to a church, and the pastor refused to serve him communion, and uh, because he wasn't baptized. And he said, well, pastor, I, I, I want to take communion with the church. I, I love Jesus. I, I've accepted him. I, I want to be baptized so that I can take communion. And this was, uh, this was a big deal because Muslims viewed water baptism as complete betrayal uh, of, of Islam. If you... If you were baptized in water, it, it was you know similar to to what it was in, in the early church. It was a it was an unmistakable act that you were following Jesus Christ, and that was seen as betrayal uh, in, in in Islam. So uh, he was told that the fundamentalists usually kill the person who's baptized, the pastor who baptized them. They burn the church to the ground and even harm other church members and burn their homes. And this is what the pastor told him. This is what he said. He said, I can't baptize you because I would be putting my life, your life, I'd be putting the life, uh, lives of people in our church at risk because of this. And he said it wasn't until the day that he met a man named Jim Turner. He was a Baptist missionary from Kansas with a wife and three kids, and, and he offered to baptize Christopher. And Christopher warned him. He said, it's, it's, it's a big risk. You know, I've been told that, that this could not only affect my life, it could affect your life, it, it, it could affect people in your life as well. This is a big risk, and this is what Pastor Jim told Christopher. He says, I can tell that God has a plan for your life, and I don't want anything to get in the way of what God has for you. So he took Christopher to the Arabian Sea, and he baptized him there. It wasn't much time after that where Pastor Jim was killed by the fundamentalists because he baptized Christopher. And, and Christopher had a crazy story of, of how he, he even escaped what they were trying. They were trying to kill him as well. And he, he shared his story about how he escaped from that. And he said this in his sermon. And it was so powerful. He said, he always asks himself, what would cause an American missionary man with a beautiful wife and three children to lay his life down so that an Arab boy could take communion? What would cause an American missionary man 
with a beautiful wife and three children to lay his life down so that an Arab boy could take communion. I believe that it's because this man understood the weight of baptism. He understood what it meant, what it represented. It represents a life that's completely devoted to Jesus Christ. And that's what we've been called to live. That's what we've been called to even bring people into. When when we're called to make disciples, Jesus says, baptize them. Bring them to the point of relationship, to the point of surrender in their own lives where they're ready to give it all, to say, I have decided to follow Jesus. And there is no turning back. There's a weight to baptism. And, And I ask myself the question, do I even recognize the weight of baptism? When I think about that that all-encompassing surrender. What does that mean in my life? God, do I have that kind of surrender? Father, That I'm, am I willing to endure persecution for your name's sake? Am I willing to give it all, to lay it all on the line for you, Jesus? Do we understand the weight of this command? Baptize them. No turning back. God's calling us to bring people to that point of surrender. One of the things that I also love about baptism is that it's, it's not just a statement of a person's belief, but it, it also means that a person belongs, right? There's community there. Just, just like in Christopher's situation, the community of believers took communion together and they wouldn't allow him to because he wasn't baptized. And I think the moment that somebody decides to follow Jesus, right, that's why we're here. That's why all of us random people from all different places in southern New Hampshire, maybe Massachusetts, are in this room right now with each other is because of the commonality of Jesus Christ. It's because of our recognition of who Jesus is. It's because of our desire to know him more. It's because of our desire to see maybe what he has for us in our lives. That's why we're here. And and it creates a community. We know each other and, and we hang out together because of Christ because of our surrender to him. It's just a beautiful thing. So God has called us to help bring people to that point of surrender, but we can't bring them there if we aren't there already, right? You can never lead someone to a place that you've never been. And so that's a question we need to ask ourselves is, God, help me to, to get to that point of surrender where I can move from, from fear uh, to faith, that, that doubt is gone, and I, I surrender and trust in you. And then when I trust in you, help me to bring people, help me to, to, to walk people, walk with people in life so that they would be able to surrender, that they would be able to follow after you. The fourth thing is teach them 
to obey. In order to teach, I, I, you know, you got to be taught. You got to go through being taught before you can turn around and teach. And that's the element where I was talking about making a disciple is, yes, we need that moment of, of when we are being poured into, but we can't stop there. It's got to continue. If we stop there, we just become consumers. We just get like, you know, like we're like obese, like with Jesus' love. And we're like just so fat, we're just laying on the floor and we can't do anything. Like, like that's not the picture that we need. We need people who have a healthy relationship where we're not just consumers, but we're producers. We're not just consuming and keeping it all to ourselves, but we're sharing that with people around us. The disciples spent years being taught with Jesus, taught by Jesus rather, hearing his parables, watching him respond to people, seeing his compassion uh, for people, seeing his heart, even just uh, his ministry and following after him, how much instruction they received in those years and even the opportunity that they got and being stretched by Jesus to step out in, in faith. I love, you know, in the story where he feeds uh, you know, the 4,000, and even in the 5,000, he, he, you feed them. He tells his disciples, well, you feed them. And, and that challenge that, that Jesus brought to the lives of the disciples, um, they were taught by him. And I think about my son, you know, um, he's, he's getting to that age now, 15 months, and everything is so interesting. You know, he's just got to check it all out. And, and I think about, like, this whole idea of, of teaching Teaching obedience. And that's one thing that I've been like, oh, God, help me. Like, how do I teach this kid to obey? Like, how do I do that? And I started thinking about it. You know what? It really, it really, begins, it really begins with him where he's at because he's so young. He needs to know, like, he needs to see, like, a consequence for being disobedient. And right now it's little things, right? So if he goes to stick his finger in the outlet, you know, you, you just take him away from the outlet. And he's after you say, Judah, we don't stick our fingers in the outlet, and then you take him away. I don't know if he knows. Sometimes I think he does. I really do. And, uh, you know, same thing. He just loves chords. He just loves dangerous things, you know, and, and that's just him. He just, you know, he, he, wants to, he wants to just do crazy things. And so at this point, you know, we're trying to teach him that there's a consequence for, for disobeying, for doing something. You know, and we're, we just want to protect him at this point from something that could hurt himself. He doesn't know that right now. Uh, but right now, we, that's what we're trying to do. And so we remove him from the situation, and that could be his consequence. He sees that it's not, it's not beneficial. He's got this train, and I'm sorry if I'm using my kid as an example here, but he's got this little Thomas the train, and, uh, and it, you know, it's got wheels because it's a train. And he likes to, like, stand up on his train. And this train's, like, you know, like this, this high off. So he's about a foot, he's about a foot and, and, and some off, off, the, off the floor. And he's standing up there, and he starts to do this, <laughs> like rocking it back and forth. And I'm like, you need to sit down. Like, Judah, you need to sit. And so I said, Judah, if you don't sit, daddy's going to have to take it away. And so obviously he never sits. And sometimes he does. But uh, when he doesn't, I have to take the train away. And so that's, for him, he knows, if I don't sit, the train's going. And so I guess what I'm trying to say here is he's got to see that there's some sort of consequence for being disobedient. 
And obviously, he needs to see that we're living out uh, what we're preaching too, right? So I don't like go over to an outlet and I'm like, <laughs> Judah, look what I could do and you can't. You know, or I'm like honest Thomas the train going, this is amazing. Like he doesn't see me do those things. But it's funny how he does. He does model us. And it's crazy. It's crazy to start seeing that. You know, you always hear about it. But when you start seeing your kid copying off of what you do, it's kind of like, oh, my goodness. I got to start, like, you know, I got to make sure that I don't do that with my knife at the dinner table, you know? Like, and just little things that you, you would, wouldn't even think of. And so he needs to see that modeled. And this is going to come around, I promise. Uh, and eventually, his obedience, his obedience will be a result of understanding what is true and not simply because his parents said so. And what do I mean by that? Eventually, there will be a point in time where my son understands that it is physically dangerous to stick your finger in an electrical outlet, right? There's, there's gonna be that point where he realizes the truth and therefore, he's going to obey because he knows what is true, not just because mom and dad said so. And we've all been there. We've all been there when our parents told us to do something and we did not want to do it. And we gave them a hard time. We said, no. But then you were like, if I do this, I'm going to get beat. So I guess I will. But I'm not happy about it, mom, dad. And so, you know, as we were getting older, my mom, she used to spank us. And I was like 12, and I'm like, Mom, this just doesn't work anymore. Like, you got you, you to give it a break. She's like, well, your, your dad's coming home. And I'm like, okay. Like, <laughs> like I'm sure that's going to hurt. Like, you know, it just it got to the point where it was like, you know, the spoon, the spoon, that old, that old spoon. Anyway, I digress. We look at the process of obedience, and I think as a, as a young believer, and this is where we're going to turn it around. As a young believer, our tendency is to kind of respond to God out of fear um, in the sense that we don't want to do the wrong things um, because of the consequences, right? Just like we're trying to teach Judah right now, young because he, he doesn't have that understanding yet, but just to get him grasping the idea of consequences, and, and as he grasps that idea of consequences, uh, that obedience starts to, to take place, but probably not for the right reason. It's, it's when, as you develop in your faith, as you grow and as you're taught, you begin to see that obedience is more, it's more important to obey because of, of truth. It's more important to obey out of a love for the truth, out of a love for what is true, than to obey out of fear, than to obey simply because of consequence. And that's, that's a mature obedience. When we begin to see what God's word is, when we can see the, the character of God, who God is, what that means for our lives, we begin to, to love the truth about who God is, to love the truth about what his word says for us. Now, now we're going, wow, I want to obey. I want to live a life of obedience because I know what is true. And that's what, what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to, as believers is to bring 
people to the point where they can obey God. And yeah, it might, it might start in an immature way where they just, they're worried about consequences. You know, so many times when, when people first get saved, they mess up and they're like, oh, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. And they're, they're so terrified of hell and they've got this consequence. You know, I do the right, but they obey because they're so scared of, of the consequence. How many, that's not the right motive for obedience. Love is the, the motive for obedience that we desire in our own hearts and, and what we desire for people that we know. And it's when we begin to just walk with people through life. We pour into their lives. We walk with them. It's, it's that moment where Love motivates. Love is what drives people forward. Love is what makes a person say, yeah, I, I do want to follow what, what the word of God says. And the more that I, I dig into it, the more that I, I, I learn from it and, and I'm seeing what's in it, I'm seeing the value of that truth in my life. And it's not just a, I want to obey because other people are obeying or it just seems like, you know, that's the thing to do, even though probably in our society today it's not. But it's that point where we say, I want to obey. I want to obey because I love the truth more than, than I love anything else. And how many know that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? It all starts with a love for Jesus and who he is. In closing, the last thing that we're instructed is an encouraging word from the Lord. He says that we aren't alone. Verse 20 says, and be sure of this. I love that. Be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. As we are actively looking for individuals to, to make you know, a difference in, right? To impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ as we trust in, in Christ's authority, as we lead and walk with people in their lives to a place of complete surrender, as we teach people uh, to obey out of their love for him, he's gonna be with us throughout it all. And the way I wanna close tonight is uh, <clears throat> at each seat, there was a little card there was a little card that said, all for one. And we're starting this series, Ready, Set, Go. This is going to be a series that we're covering in connect groups um, from pretty much now to uh, the end of August. And, and this is really, our focus is really going to be on, on reaching one person, investing in one per this entire summer, Ready, Set, Go, is about investing in one person. And that's, that's kind of the, the challenge that I want to give to each one of us in this room, that this summer, we are going to, tonight, we're going to take just a little bit of time and, and just to pray. We're going to have just a moment of prayer. And I want you to seek the Lord about one person, one person that you can begin investing in. It's not just, uh, it's not just a, a, it could be a physical need, 
It could be just someone that you could, you can, you know, if they're going through a rough time in their life, but you just want to show the love of Jesus Christ. You want to be just a hand extended of Jesus Christ. But I'm talking about making the decision to invest in this individual. Because like we said, making disciples is work. It's, it's, it's you saying, I love this individual so much that I don't care if it's going to be inconvenient for me. I don't care if it's going to take time. I don't care if, it, if it's going to mess up my schedule. But because I love this person so much, because I want to invest in their lives, because I want to see them transform by the love of Jesus Christ, I want to commit to pray for them. I want to commit to meet physical needs for them. I want to commit to be present in their lives. I want to commit to be active and seeing where they are in their relationship with Jesus. I want to commit to just being completely focused on helping this individual. I believe that if you want to see the kingdom of God grow, if you want to see God begin to do some incredible things, as we just devote ourselves to just one, imagine this. You know, and, and I've heard this so many different places, but, you know, it just makes so much sense. If, if the group here, if we just committed to investing in one person and walking with them in life, in their relationship with Jesus, and I'm not talking about a person here in this room. I'm talking about a person who needs the love of Jesus. All right, you know, we've experienced Christ. We've experienced what he's, maybe what he's done in our lives. And, you know, maybe we're on that journey still. But the point is that we look for an individual that we can continually stay focused and invested in. Can we do that? Can we make that commitment? So right now, why don't we just pray? We just take a moment, and, uh, and I'm going to have, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Josh, if you want to maybe grab a bucket of pens there, um, and then if you want to maybe uh, turn on some music. I'm just going to close in prayer now, just take a moment to pray with you. You guys take as much time as you need just to reflect uh, upon, you know, maybe the individual that God's going to lay on your heart. But this is a person that you are making a, a commitment to. They might not know it, but you're going to commit to seek the Lord for them. You're going to lift them up in prayer. You're going to be present in their life. You're going to be investing in this individual. So it's a big thing. So uh, why don't we just pray? God, we thank you, Lord, that you are with us. We thank you, Father, that you have mighty plans uh, for this group. God, we thank you that you have given us this great commission, Father, this great assignment. And Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would be with us, that you would help us. Father, we know that you said that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to you. We know that you said that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and that we would be your witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We know, God, that you promised that you would be with us to the ends of the age. So, God, we stand on your promises. We stand on the promises in your word, and we know, God, that you are going to be by our side, that you are going to Enable us, God. You're going to empower us through the Holy Spirit to make a difference in the lives of, of people around us. God, we just ask right now that your presence would just rest in this place. 
And Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us. Father, that you would give us an individual that we could just pray for. You would give us an individual that we would just lift up, that we would invest in, that we would make a difference in. God, we don't want to just be here at just to be here, God, but we want to be effective for the kingdom of God. We want to do damage, Lord, to the kingdom of hell. We want to be used by you to do mighty Work so, God, and Father, we want great expectation to take place in our hearts. Father, we don't want to stand by the wayside anymore. God, we just don't want to be okay with mediocre. We don't want to be okay with getting by. But, Father, I pray a spirit of expectation would just fall in this place that as individuals we would expect great and mighty things from you, O Lord. God, we just ask, fill us with expectation. Fill us, God, with expectation that we would look to see what you would have us to accomplish. Father, we know the assignment that you've given us. Father, help us to accomplish that assignment in our lives. And so, Lord, as we just seek you right now, I pray that you would just be with us. Speak to our hearts, O God. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. If you would like to know more about 242, you can email Pastor Justin at jcorkum at manchesterassembly.org. You can also tweet us at 242NH. Again, that's T-W-O-42-N-H. Or on Facebook, you can look us up under 242 Young Adults. We look forward to your feedback, and we'll see you next time.